0: Christ is risen, the Lord is risen, hallelujah, you may be seated, in yesterday's Good Friday Stations of the Cross Liturgy, we began with these words, Almighty Father, God of power and mercy, in love you sent Jesus Christ our Savior, that we might be cleansed from sin and live with you forever, there it is. That's the solution to the problem of sin and death. And we gather tonight to remember the biblical story of God's redeeming work through Jesus, our Savior. These past three days, we've walked with the Lord through his passion, experiencing the new commandment to love one another and serve as Christ did by washing his disciples' feet on Monday, Thursday. We remembered yesterday the gruesome suffering of Jesus, rejected, spat upon, Beaten, falling down in the dirt and dung of the filthy streets of Jerusalem as he tried to carry his cross. Thrown onto that cross, laying in the grime of death where others had been crucified before him. Then hung up on that cross by his limbs, bleeding profusely from his wounds, dying before all the world who was there to watch and record the event and being rejected by God the Father. What did this moment entail? It entailed curses and spittle, wounds, bruises, flayed flesh, dirt, filth, blood, and sin. The worst and dirtiest filth and muck one could imagine and experience. And not just physical, but moral and spiritual as well. All of it placed upon Jesus. We rejoice in his suffering because it brings our redemption and salvation. In scripture, there are three primary means of cleansing, fire and water and blood. They're all described in some form or fashion in the readings of this service. Let me briefly explain each one. First, fire. We began our service this evening in the dark outside um, and remembering that Jesus was dead, lying in the cold tomb. We lit the Easter fire and we declared the light of Christ. Thanks be to God. That light was shared with one another throughout the sanctuary, just as the first news of the resurrection traveled through the unbelieving ears of his disciples who were despondent. And as that news spread one to the other, darkness was put to flight. The exultet stated, darkness has been vanquished by our eternal king. The word from Isaiah that we read this evening said, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of fire. The kind of cleansing and purification being described here can only take place in the context and fulfillment of the messianic promises. The promises here are not in place of judgment, but through it. The survivors are the remnant left after the fire of judgment has done its work on its people. And there are three results of that raging firestorm. First, the people will be holy. Second, they will be cleansed of their filth and blood stains, that is, the accumulated guilt of all their sins. And third, they will experience the presence of God not as a threat, but as a blessing. Fire burns, it purifies, it enlightens that which is hidden and darkened. And fire is necessary for purification, it's a cleansing agent for the people of God. More on that in seven weeks when we get to Pentecost. We'll talk more about the purifying fire. The second purifying agent that comes across really clearly in Scripture is that of water. Obviously, right? And we know this. Remember the dog days of summer <laughs> when we've had to mow the yard and it's hot and sweaty. We've worked in the garden and we're dirty and filthy. What's the first thing you do when you're finished with the task? You jump in the shower. You wash it off. Remember the pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> what was one of the most important things that we were constantly encouraged to do during the pandemic it was wash our hands, right? Because somehow washing our hands with soap would be enough to get that doggone virus off of us. <laughs> it would help us stay healthy. Indeed, washing our, uh, with water has always been consistent with sound medical practice. Right? Water is a significant cleansing agent symbolically too. And to attend worship on the Temple Mount, priests and those that were going to make sacrifices and pray, needed to bathe in the mikveh baths in preparation. These are ritual uh, cleansing rites that they engaged in, in water baths required to adhere to the various purity laws of the Torah. And our readings demonstrate the importance of water throughout the length of Scripture. In the New Testament stories that we read um, You know, Noah's Ark and Moses leading the people across the Red Sea noted these experiences of baptism. 1 Peter 3.20 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the Ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Likewise, the experience of Moses in the Red Sea. First Corinthians 10 notes, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. In that moment, they were being cleansed from the filth and uncleanness of spending 400 years under the rule and reign of the Egyptian gods. Additionally, the reading from Ezekiel tonight The Old Testament prophet to Judah during the exile says it will be the Holy Spirit who will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you tonight too, just a few minutes ago. We have remembered our own baptism when we renounce the devil and the spiritual forces of wickedness, the deadly deceits of the world and our own sinful desires of flesh. And tomorrow, again, we'll celebrate the baptisms of Elise Verboi and Soraya Rumba. They will be sprinkled with water. At Jesus' own baptism by John in the wilderness, which we did not read tonight, Jesus participated in the ceremony of confession and repentance, even though he did not need to. Jesus is pure and holy. He's without sin. And yet he participated in that baptism of repentance because he knew his mission. And so he associated himself with humanity there, knowing that in just a few short years after that baptism, he would indeed be taking on the sins of the whole world on the cross. For Jesus, however, his baptism was ultimately one of blood and not of water alone. Even though he had participated in water baptism, he only did that to associate himself with humanity and and symbolically take on the sins of the people. Those sins, our sins, were placed upon Jesus at his blood baptism. And that's the third of the biblical purifying agents. It's the last and most impressive purifying agent. In both the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, Jesus suggests that his death and resurrection is like that experience of Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. Jonah describes the waters closed in over me to take my life and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountain and I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jesus offers up his life on the cross to take away the sins of the world by an atoning sacrifice through blood. The definitive statement about the significance of blood within the Old Testament sacrificial system is found in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, which says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The blood of sacrifice is something that is given to us by God as his divine provision. This counters any sacrifice that sees it as a human gift to attract divine favor. Second, the use of blood in sacrifice is a price-paying act to make atonement. That is, the blood pays for whatever price matches the and, and cancels the offense. The death of Jesus is a sacrifice of a life forfeited or laid down in payment for sin. Finally, the shedding of the blood of sacrifice is a substitutionary act. The last part of that verse may be translated for it is the blood that makes atonement at the cost of or in the place of the life. In place of the sinner's life. This is exactly what happens on the cross. Jesus sacrificially sheds his blood in your place in mine. Fire, water, blood, all things which cleanse and purify and renew. Throughout biblical history, we see these elements regularly serving as temporary means of cleansing. Jesus finalizes them, and he does that in the resurrection. The other day, my family and I were chatting in the living room, and Anna Keeley said, (laughs) I didn't tell her I was going to tell the story. (laughs) Anna Keeley said, I can't wait to be in eighth grade because then I f- I'll feel like I've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> to which Emery replied, I always feel like I haven't arrived too. Yeah. To which I replied, <laughs> me too. And she asked why. Why is it that we feel this longing to arrive? And I, I commented that I think it's because We're really not made for this world of sin, but we're made for the resurrection. Only then will we have truly arrived. And these longings that we have are longings for the resurrection to be enacted in us with finality and permanence. We're reminded every year in these services of these three great movements of the Holy Week Triduum Monday, Thursday, Good Friday and Holy Saturday, that at the heart of it is a longing for the resurrection. Let me remind you of what Paul says in Romans chapter six. We read it this evening. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Six times in this passage, Paul associates believers with Christ, being united with Christ in his death. Verses three, four, five, six, eight and 11. You can check me on that. In Christ's baptism of his own own blood, Paul says, "We have died with Christ to our old self that which is dead in us because of sin. And we are buried with Christ. That is, we are good as dead. And we are raised with Christ to new life. Verse 6 says, In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Six times Paul speaks about the implications of the resurrection in this passage. With Christ, we are raised from the dead, verse 4. We are walking in the newness of life, also verse 4. We are united with him in a resurrection like his, verse 5. We will live with him, verse 8. Because death no longer holds dominion over him, verse 9. And we are alive to God in Christ Jesus, verse 11. The resurrection is the central doctrine of Christian theology. Paul reports in an early creed in 1 Corinthians 15. There he notes that if Jesus did not literally rise from the dead, the entire Christian faith is fallacious. It's ineffective. Additionally, preaching is valueless. Christian testimony is false. No sins have been forgiven. And believers have perished without any hope. The conclusion is that apart from this event, Christians are the most miserable of all people. The resurrection is mentioned as the motivation for the witness and testimony of the gospel. We read tonight from Matthew 28, in which the angel of the Lord spoke to the women saying, he's not here for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. With the resurrection, the Christian message of eternal life is secure, resting on the reality of Jesus' victory over death. Dear friends, we have been baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like Christ, we are no longer bound by death and those things that bring death. Tonight, we burned those things that we posted on the cross last night. Pride, anger, anxiety, guilt, lying, acts of violence, addiction, self-sufficiency, judgmental hearts, depression, gossip, sickness, dark thoughts, arrogance, hard-heartedness, pornography, self-righteousness, people-pleasing, adultery, selfishness, fighting, swearing, lack of self-control, drunkenness, compulsiveness, hatred, ingratitude, resentment, a critical spirit, laziness, love of money, disrespect. That's an exhausting list. That's our list. Those are the things that were burned in the purifying fire tonight those are the things that are dealt with through the blood baptism of Jesus Christ on the cross, buried in the tomb for three days and raised to new life. The efficacy of the cleansing agent is only seen, demonstrated and evidenced in the resurrection. It is proof that the cleansing agent, the blood of Christ worked. You are washed clean now through the blood of Christ, which is more efficacious than any shower or bath. Our baptism, which we remembered here tonight and those we celebrate tomorrow are but echoes of what is to come. The real and final resurrection of that one true baptism and cleansing in Christ's blood. The gross muck and grime of the world, the sin of your hearts and lives, and the stench of death that results, is gone. Alleluia! Christ is risen. The Lord risen indeed. Alleluia! Amen.